With the cross, the cross being front and center, I'm going to ask you to take just a couple of minutes and for you to focus your attention there today. What do you see? What do you hear? Payment. What? Payment. Payment. What do you see? Salvation. Love. Commitment. Sacrifice. Victory. Pain. Obedience. Did Jesus have to go to the cross? Didn't have to. He chose to. Do you know why? Because of your sins and my sins. He made a choice. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Jesus' death wasn't because of his rebellion towards Rome. But his death on the cross was a result of our rebellion towards God. Can we talk about the cross today? Um, Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem in preparation for Passover. But we move very quickly through the week to the time of the crucifixion when Jesus would give his life for our sins. Today we want to talk about the cross. Um, The woman had become enamored by the piece of jewelry that she saw on her friend. And she said, where did you get that? And she said, "I, I got that cross from down at the local jewelry store. And she hurried her way down because she saw that piece of jewelry and she wanted it. And so she goes down to the jewelry store and, and she asked the girl at the counter, she said, listen, I saw a friend of mine that had a piece of jewelry that had a cross on it. She said, I'd really like to have one. And the young girl said to her a statement, something like this, do you want the cross with the little man or the cross without the little man on it? It's easy for us to miss it, isn't it? And in the culture in which we live, to bypass and not understand the depth of the love and the sacrifice that was shown towards us when Jesus gave his life for us. Let's not be dramatic today. Let's just read the scriptures and let's talk about what the scriptures have to say about the crucifixion. Let's go to the book of Mark in the New Testament and let's look at some passages and let's just talk about why the cross, what was the reasoning for the cross. And I want to tell you right now where I'm headed so you have a little bit of an idea. Um, We're going to finish up in a little bit. And it wouldn't surprise me today if there were some people here that were in this room that are here for whatever the reason 
and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're a, a religious person, maybe you're a church attender, but you've never given your life to Christ. You may be here, a friend invited you to come, and, and you've come with them just to, just to maybe to get a free meal for lunch, okay? I, I, I don't really know. But at the end of our time, there's going to be what we call an invitation. And in that invitation, there'll be an opportunity for those of you that are not believers that don't know Christ to say, I believe, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to Christ. I understand the sacrifice and what was done for me. There may be those of us that are believers that are here today, that are followers of Jesus. And during our time today, you may recognize that there are things that you're holding on to past guilt, past shame, and you've forgotten the fact that the cross restores us. There'll be an opportunity for you to ask the Lord for forgiveness and to do some business with the Lord. At that time, the invitation, I'll ask our overseers to come. And so if you desire to, you'll have an opportunity to come and to say, listen, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to Christ. Or it might be for those of us that are believers that are here today that are still walking in the past and have yet to turn some things over to come and just kneel and to pray. But today, the center of our attention is on the cross and the cross itself. And at the end of our time today, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Is that good? That's great. It's good being away from you guys for a week, just so you know that. <laughs> oh, the stories to be told, the stories to be told. But it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Um, let me pray for you, and then I'm going to read from Mark chapter 15. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to humble yourself and love us enough to pay the price for our sin. Lord, I'm praying for, for our time together today that you'll speak to our hearts and Father, that as we remember, we will understand the significance so that when we leave this place, we are, have a better understanding so that we can communicate to others the hope that the cross brings. So Father, would you be in this place with us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you for, don't forget, if, if, if you get caught off attention, if you want to start playing with your cell phones or whatever else, you know, this is today, listen to me. Or if I get boring or I mess up or something doesn't go the way, the only thing I want you to do is look at the cross. That's all we want to talk about today. Look at the cross. If you get distracted, it's okay to be distracted today. Just look at the cross. It speaks everything that we want to talk about. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. Let's, let's read this and see what happens as we move really quickly into the time of crucifixion. Some of you have read this before many times probably, but don't miss, don't miss today. Just because you may know the word, I don't want you to miss the one for whom the word was written and the one that the story is about. 
And this is what is recorded, Mark 15, 21. A passerby named Simon, I want you to look at some of the people or some of the groups of people that will be mentioned as we walk through these scriptures. Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, and they offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. And then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes. They threw dice to decide who would get each piece. Verse 25 says, it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. First thing I want you to write down is this, the cross itself was the fulfillment of prophecy to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Some 300 passages of Scripture, 300 prophecies, prophecies plus that we see in the Old Testament, and many of those prophecies revolve around the death of Jesus. And here we have the evidence that God was giving us Jesus to be crucified. And in this story, we see the name of, of one man who was compelled to carry the cross. His name was what? That's exactly right. His name was Simon, who was from Serene. Now, there's not an awful lot that we know about Simon and why he was compelled to carry the cross. Some people say that he was compelled to carry the cross because of his skin color. He was from North Africa. There was a Jewish settlement that we do know in the book of Acts that tells us that it was, that was there. And so here you have him coming into the city, and for whatever the reason, he's identified. Other people say that maybe he was identified because he was part of the, that he was part of the crowd and they identified him as a follower of Jesus. Then there are others that have other explanations of why Simon himself would have been chosen. But all that we know is what the Scripture has to say, that he was chosen to carry the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ compelled. Here he is carrying that cross of Christ, that beam that probably weighed somewhere between 75 to 125 pounds. Jesus had made it to the way up until this time, John tells us, that Jesus had been scourged, he had been beaten, he had been whipped, the flesh had been torn from his bones, and he had come to the place in this journey up this mount that he himself could not bear that cross any longer. And so here is this man, Simon of Serene, that was chosen to carry the cross of Jesus. A Roman soldier pointed him out and placed a spear on his shoulder. He says, it's your turn. Carry the cross. And he did. And as I think about this, I think there will come a time in every one of our lives when we won't we be able to bury the load that's placed upon our shoulders. I've heard it somebody said this past week, they say, I know that the scriptures say that the Lord won't put on anything, you know, anything that you can't bear, but man, I tell you, I'm about to sink right now. Maybe you're at that place in life where the load is just too heavy. Maybe you are around somebody that you know the load is too heavy. Who is your Simon or whose Simon will you be to help carry the load? I'm also reminded that at some point in life the scripture teaches us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. As Jesus fell up underneath 
the weight of that cross after the beatings that he had endured. He goes on to say in verse 22, And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Now, it's an interesting piece of history that Jesus is walking up this hill to be crucified on the same ridge that Abraham, the father of our faith, would take his son to be sacrificed, to provide a sacrifice, to make a sacrifice. And we find this in Genesis chapter 22, Mount Moriah. It's that same place on Mount Moriah that God says to Abraham, Abraham, how much do you love me? How much do you love me? In other words, Abraham, how much do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to give me the most prized possession of your life? The son that you always wanted, are you willing to sacrifice him for me to demonstrate your love? Now, over the years, I've always, you've always seen pictures of Abraham and Isaac, and we always picture Isaac as a young man. We always see Isaac as probably somewhere between the ages of 8 to 12, but they'll tell us, many tell us, that he wasn't just a young man, but he was an older man, probably in his early 30s, just as Jesus was. And so here it is. You have the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jesus that are walking down this same road, walking up the same hill, Isaac carrying the wood, for the sacrifice that would be made, and Jesus carrying that beam that would lead to his crucifixion. Same place. Isaac could have easily overpowered his father. Here's Abraham, an older man by this time. Isaac could have very easily said, I'm not going to do it. But he humbled himself. And you know why? Because he trusted his father. He believed in him. He yielded and he submitted his will to his father. And it was at that time that Isaac himself asked the question, Dad, we brought the wood, but where's the sacrifice? It's very interesting what Abraham's response was because in our modern translations, some of the, some of the reality has the ability to get lost because Abraham's response was, God will provide himself a sacrifice. But in some of the English translations today, this is what we hear, that God will provide for himself a sacrifice. But listen again to what was said when translated in the Hebrew. God will provide himself a sacrifice. And that's exactly what John the Baptist would declare. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So we've got a lamb caught in the thicket that Abraham and Isaac offered as a sacrifice, and now we see Jesus, the Lamb of God, ready to be sacrificed for our sins. It says in verse 23 that they offered him wine drug with myrrh, but he refused it. And then it goes on to say that then the soldiers nailed him to the cross and they divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. The Roman soldiers weren't known for the amount of money that they made. But part of the perks of being a Roman soldier and overseeing the crucifixion was to be able to have the ability to gamble for the clothes of the ones that they would crucify. 
here's Jesus, believe it or not, with the only possessions that we know that he had control of, his clothes, being gambled for by those that crucified him which was only foretold and talked about in Psalms chapter 22 when it said they divided his garments among themselves and they throw dice for my clothing. But the cross wasn't just a fulfillment of prophecy. The cross was also a demonstration or a proving of God's love for us. Look what it says in verse 25. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him that read the king of the Jews. They crucified him. I mean, you would think probably that maybe they could go into a greater explanation of really what took place at that time, but it was very simple. They crucified him. It wasn't to bring pity towards Christ. The cross was never intended to create that pity. But the cross was intended to bring about faith in Christ and trust. The Romans were the ones that perfected the form of this form of torture called crucifixion and it was a way of not only putting to death those that opposed the Roman leadership but it was also a way of intimidating those that might think now we've talked about this before but they say that in one day in Spartacus's reign in the revolt they crucified over 6,000 men in one day so many men that they ran out of wood and they lined the streets with those crucified men to say, listen, if you want to rebel against us, this is what will take place in your life. So you can imagine the amount of fear and intimidation that was happening there in that culture and in that environment at this time. There was also a, a word that was created um, that, was, that was created to sort of explain just how terrible and torturous the cross was and it's a word that we use today it's called excruciating the cross is excruciating and that word excruciating means out of the cross and it described the pain that was experienced scripture says in Romans 5 8 that God demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, he didn't, he didn't die for us because we deserved it. He didn't die for us because we earned it. But he died for us to prove his love for us that in spite of our sinfulness and foolishness, that he loved us. The cross. The cross. The cross also shows us the way to be saved. The scripture says in verse 27, two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Now we're missing the 28th verse. It's out of some of the modern translations because they can't find it in some of the original documents. But it's a translation that goes back um, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, that we find in the King James. It says, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. This is just a quote from the Old Testament. And then it goes on to say in verse 29, the people passing by sh shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. 
You were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priest and the teachers of the religious law also mocked Jesus. Make note of all the different groups of people that are, that are mocking him. He saved others, they scoff, but he can't save himself. So you've got the Romans, you've got the religious leaders, you've got those that are passing by the crowds, and here's Jesus hanging on the cross, and their response was nothing more than the fulfillment of scriptures and what had been foretold in the Old Testament. Here we have Jesus and the stories of giving sight to the blind, those that were deaf being able to hear, the lame being able to walk, and even the dead being risen. We talk about Lazarus. And yet they're saying Jesus can't even save himself. But why didn't he save himself? Because if he had saved himself, he wouldn't have been the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus knew that. If he would have If he would have saved himself, that means that the payment for our sins would not have been received. If Jesus would have come off the cross, we would have been doomed. But he hung there. The scripture says he took the nature of a servant, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. See, it wasn't his example that saved us. It wasn't his teachings that saved us. It wasn't his miracles that saved us. But it was his death on the cross that saved us. Jesus' death. In verse 33 it says, At noon darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Darkness was a sign of judgment. A symbol of judgment. But what's the significance? It's the picture. It was dark when Jesus bore the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul said, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God. And then in verse 34, it says this in Mark chapter 15. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Ali, Ali, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You might want to write this down. Sin separates us from God. Will you say that with me? Sin separates us from God. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the fact that sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. In the scriptures we find that this is the time, the first time that we see where Jesus refers to the Father, Jehovah, as God. Up until this time Jesus had walked with the Lord, hand in hand. But at this moment when Jesus receives the penalty for our sins, there was a sense of separation. I don't understand it all, but I do know that there was something that took place that separated Jesus from the Father that caused him to cry out, 
crowd in a loud voice and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That word forsaken means to desert. Why have you left me? Why have you deserted me? And it was in that separation, it was in that time of the felt abandonment that caused Jesus to cry out. You know what, he never cried out in the midst of the scourgings or the whippings or the beatings, but here at the time in his life when there was a separation from his father, it was the moment in time that he cried out. What makes heaven is the fact that God is there. What makes hell? It's the fact of the absence that God isn't there. What makes heaven? It's the fact that God is there. No distractions. No interruptions. Can you imagine no more distractions? No more cell phones going off? No more beep beeps? I've heard more sounds over the past several weeks of different types of these little beeps that go off. And, you know, when to recognize that somebody's got a, you know, somebody's got a text, a text message that's coming in or an email that's coming in. I mean, all kinds of sounds, everything from a duck that quack quacks, to bells ringing, to whistles, to, oh my, you know. <laughs> no more distractions. But in heaven, our heavenly Father will be there. There will be peace and we'll never, never start a service late there, right? Now look, let me tell you, you guys got to understand, Brian works by systems, okay? So we'll start on time. There may be four people here, but we'll start on time. That's just the way it is. Isn't that right, Brian? That's just the way it is. So he's not playing. He probably already has it on his schedule. He probably has it already plugged in on his phone. Do you think he's, to me, when we're just going to start, okay? Him is going to system. So don't be late next week. But what makes hell is hell is the absence of God, just the opposite, totally separated from God. Can you imagine the pain and the suffering? Jesus was separated from his Father. Do you ever get bothered by the fact that sin separates us from God? In the midst of that moment, does it ever bother you that, that sin separates you from your heavenly Father? It separates us. Sin separates us, but Jesus restores us because of the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. It was God talking to Adam and Eve and says, listen, you can do anything you want to. Just don't partake of this fruit. And they couldn't stand it. And at that moment, they were separated. We aren't sinners, sinners because of the good things or the bad things that we do. We are sinners by nature. We're born into sin. And the wages of sin is death. Separation is what the scriptures have to say. And in verse 37, it says, Then Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath. Now in John chapter 19, verse 30, we find out some of the words that Jesus uttered. It is finished. Teleo, it is finished, which means it's been brought to a close. It's been paid in full. And what Jesus had come to do, his mission was completed. His mission was to reconcile and restore God and man in which he had completed what he had come to do. It was finished. He didn't say he was finished. He said it was finished. It had been done. 
And the benefits? Redemption. Paid with a price. Reconciled. Reconciled to God. No longer divided. But I have an opportunity to be face-to-face with Him and restored. Anybody ever felt guilty for the things of the past? Complete restoration. 100% new slate, new beginning, no more shame and no more guilt. And some of us here probably need to hear that today. Because it wouldn't surprise me if there were some that were weighted down with the things of the past. But Jesus died for it so that that slate could be wiped clean. No more under the power of sin, but brand new. No more under the penalty of sin, but brand new. And we have the opportunity not only to receive the forgiveness from God, but also offer the forgiveness to others around us who don't deserve it just like we don't deserve it. That's what happens. That's what happened at the cross. Freedom. And in verse 38, it goes on to say, And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man was truly the Son of God. Some women who were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And they had had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there that curtain or that veil, that curtain or that veil that was torn, some say some four to six inches thick, some 60 foot high, that separated the holies of holies from the people. And one time a year, one time a year, the high priest would be able to go in and offer a sacrifice. One time a year. And that veil represented the separation between man and God. But here we see at this appropriate time, what took place. There was an earthquake and that veil was torn from top to bottom symbolizing that we have access. C.S. Lewis said this in reference to God and access. He said, he said, this has to be the great mystery of heaven that God has given us access and we don't go in. We don't gain access to God because we deserve it, but we gain access to God through the cross. Sometimes my kids will come ask me for keys, and they'll go downstairs in my office, and uh, I've been downstairs from time to time, and they're laid out on the couch, you know, and, or they'll be sitting at the desk, or sometimes they're plundering through my drawers looking for something to eat. <laughs> my office is not the office to go into if you're looking for something to eat. That's Lisa's office. Just so you know, she keeps it in the right drawer. There's some (laughs) Snickers bars and some other different things that are down there. Not Snickers bars, right? Granola bars, that's what they are, granola bars. (laughs) Those are in the left-hand side drawer. (laughs) But you know, they're there because I've given them access. I've given them the keys to let them in. Am I mad at them? No. No, but I'm giving them access, just as our Heavenly Father has given us access. And he gives us access, why and how? Through the cross. 
Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and 20 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter in the most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Four characters here, four different groups of people that I want you to see really quickly, the centurion. I want you to see how he responded. What was it that he said in verse 39? It says, when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of, the son of God. I mean, how in the world would, would this Roman soldier come to that conclusion? I mean, he had seen, obviously, multitudes of people be crucified. I mean, that was his job. Well, what was it that made the difference here? Maybe it was what Jesus proclaimed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But his response was truly, this man is the son of God. There were the two thieves hanging on the cross from two different perspectives. One that said, if you are the Messiah, then save yourself and save us. Then there was the other one that says, I believe, remember me when you come into paradise. One who had the hardened heart that said, I can do it. I can do it on my own. But then there was the other one that had humility that said, Jesus, I believe. I surrender. I yield. Then there was Simon of Serene. The interesting thought about Simon is you don't know an awful lot about him, but there is a couple of references that are made known, and I think it's in, I think it's in Romans, that it talks about his family members. There's a greeting that Paul brings, and it talks about Rufus and his mother. Very interesting thought that Paul says, listen, I want you to greet Rufus, who was the son of Simon, and I want you to greet his mother because she was also just like a mother to me. This is Paul talking. So we do know, we do know this about Simon, that Simon must have been a man of faith. He was a man who lived out his faith in his home because we see where his faith was passed down to his children. He was a believer. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But then there was the crowd. And at one point in time, up until the crucifixion, we saw where the crowd was very heavily involved in the mocking of Jesus. But in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 23, we find where he records that they beat their chest and they went away. And in the Jewish culture, the beating of the chest was a sign of grieving Mourning and repentance. That was what took place. For hours they had mocked Jesus up until this time, but now it was almost like they realized what had happened because of the cross. Talk about devotion to Jesus. What about the women? Always leave it up to the women, right? In verse 40, 41, it says, they, talking about some of the women, had, followed, were, had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. John was the only disciple that was there at the cross. The others were standing at a distance out of fear and the thoughts of what might happen if they were to be caught, if they would have been identified. Earlier on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus made this comment as he was speaking to the disciples. He was calling out and he said this to them, If any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, 
and follow me. Now, this is what we know that happens prior to this. Jesus is now walking with his disciples, and as he's walking, he said, who do they say that I am? Some said John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say another prophet. But Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that opened up his mouth, and he said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it was after that that Jesus began to talk to them about what would take place in the days, in the, in the days ahead, that he would go into Jerusalem, he would be killed, he would be buried, but he would not stay in that grave, but he would rise again on the third day. But Jesus would say to them, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, I want you to understand what's going to happen in the days ahead. But if you want to follow me, this is what's going to need to take place. Yes, I know. Yes, I am the Messiah. But if you want to follow me, I want you to understand that my death is not the ending of the story. I don't want you to know that my death will not be the finale. But I will rise from the dead. But for those of you who desire to follow me, I want you to pick up your cross. I want you to deny yourself. It's pretty hard, isn't it? We know that every one of those men, after the crucifixion, would pick up and believe so much in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they would all give their life for Jesus except for John, who would die naturally. And so the cross, it reminds us of his love. The cross, yeah, the price that was paid for our sins. But you know what the cross also reminds us of? <laughs> the invitation. The invitation that Jesus provides for us to follow him. And just as the two thieves, we have to make a choice. Just as the disciples, we have to make a choice. Just as the women, we have to make a choice. Just as the crowds, we have to make a choice. Just as Simon, we have to make a choice. We can either stand at the distance Or we can come close to the cross and to recognize just what Jesus did. Have you ever really stood close to the cross and considered the price that was paid? Would you bow your heads with me? just a couple of minutes Brian and the team is going to be leading us in a song but prior to that I'd shared with you earlier that there would be an opportunity to invite you to make a decision to trust Christ 
I don't know what decision that you have made as an individual, but I know the opportunity that we have today to invite you to come and to receive what Christ has offered us. And just as I said earlier, you've got two choices to make if, you, if you're here. To humble yourself, to yield yourself, to say, Jesus, I believe and I desire to follow you. Or to say, I can handle it on my own. I can make it happen. The scripture teaches us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And today, if you're here and you decide you're here and you feel that within your heart that today you would like to make that decision to trust Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer. I mean, I wish I could tell you that this prayer is what saves you. But that's not what saves you. It's your acknowledgement of the fact that Jesus died for you on a cross. It's an acknowledgement of the fact that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's that acknowledgement that he died specifically for you. It's an understanding that you're a sinner. That you can't save yourself. And you can't work your way into heaven. It just doesn't work that way. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But it's a free gift that's offered for any of us. That we've been invited to, we've been invited to, to choose him. To invite him into our hearts. And so if you're here today and, and that's where you are, and I'd love to, to, to pray with you and to, just to have you pray something along this line. Just to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Man, my life is a mess. I realize that I can't save myself. But I realize today that you died on that cross specifically because you love me. And you died on that cross to save me and to pay the penalty of sin. The penalty which was death. And Jesus, today, even though I don't understand it all, in the simplicity of this moment, I want to receive you. I want to trust you. I want to believe. As our overseers are coming this morning, and they're going to stand in the front. If you're here today and that's you, you're saying, man, listen, I'm not a believer, I'm not a follower of Jesus up until this time, but today I want to give my life to Jesus. I want you to come. I want you to come, and as our overseers are standing here, if there's some of you here that are in this room that are in that position, I just want you to be bold and courageous and not stand at a distance but to move close to the cross to say Jesus I believe I want to follow you I want to trust you I want to give my life to you and so if that's you today and you've prayed this prayer along with me I'm just going to ask you in just a second when we begin singing and we stand I'm just going to ask for you to move and for you to come and for you to take the hand of one of these overseers that are standing before you and say, I want to trust Jesus. I want to give my life to him. We just want to pray with you this morning. And then also there may be others of us here that are believers, but even though we've, we've claimed to be followers of Christ, for some whatever the reason, we've moved off to a distance. It may be some sinful issues that you're dealing with. It's things that you've not been able to put away, put to the side. 
Well, today what I want to ask you to do is would you be willing to come close to the cross and to recognize that the cross, that at the cross Jesus paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be restored and we could be redeemed and we can be reconciled. Maybe you need to come and you just need to kneel at that cross, be reminded of the payment that was made, to be reminded of the hope that was offered. We're going to give you that opportunity today too as, as we stand in just a second and as we enter into this time of invitation. Father, I'm very thankful today for, for the significance of the cross and what it means. Why the cross? It's the way you designed it. And out of the pain and out of the suffering came the significance of life. 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 Freedom. So, Father, today I pray for us as we're here. Father, as we stand to sing, there will be those that will respond and not stand at a distance any longer but will come close and say Jesus I believe in your name we